The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn, if you will, in your scriptures to Matthew chapter 22. We're reading the first 13 verses, and you'll find that on page 827 of your Pew Bible. Excuse me, Matthew 22 and the first 13 verses. This is the word of God. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. We pray now, Lord God, as you have called us into your presence, that we would be those found to be of faith, those found to be producing fruits of the kingdom and righteousness. And Lord, where there is no faith this day, we plead with you, have mercy and grant, Lord God, your spirit to work richly in the hearts both of them that know you not and of those that know you, that we might be uh, filled with a sense of awe and wonder at our privilege to be invited to the great wedding feast of our Savior. Lord, be pleased to bless us, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we come to the third of these kingdom parables that we found now in Matthew 21 and Matthew 22. And here we find our Lord in these parables in the long tradition of the prophets of God. We know that Jesus is the great prophet of God, prophet, priest, and king. And part of that prophetic office is the uh, pronouncement and enacting of judgment upon God's people, upon those of God's people who outwardly belong 
to the people of God, but inwardly have not faith and do not produce the fruits of the kingdom. We have here the parable of the wedding feast, building on the parable of the tenants and the parable of the two sons before it. Covenant members who had all the privilege of everything to do with a covenant relationship with God, who rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Upon them, our Lord pronounces great judgment. They rejected the Messiah. They rejected the Christ. They rejected the invitation to the wedding feast. They rejected the invitation to life itself. And there's a sobering truth here, friends. It matters not who we are or what our position is in the church or how we may have served in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only a faith-filled reception of the Savior that grants us salvation. It is only a faith-filled reception of the Savior that grants us salvation, that grants us entry to the great marriage feast of the Lamb. And we'll see that really identified in three distinct sections of the parable before us. In the first eight verses, and there's a slight play on words here, and I'll make it clear what I mean by this. The first eight verses, we see the worthy, unworthy wedding guests. The worthy, unworthy wedding guests. Then that flips on its head in verses 9 and 10, where we see the unworthy, worthy wedding guests. And then in the rest of our section 11 to 14, we'll determine what is the difference between the worthy and the unworthy wedding guests. So initially, we have the worthy, unworthy wedding guests, the worthy but unworthy wedding guests. Remind ourselves of the context. Our Lord has come to Jerusalem really for the last time in his ministry. He's come preaching the gospel and doing signs and wonders, cleansing the temple. The Jews have challenged his authority. By what authority do you teach these things and do these wonders? And we need to understand that challenge to his authority is an affront an affront to the person, the calling and office of Christ as the Messiah of God. And that leads him to teach a series of parables, parables which invert the Jewish order of things, Uh, parables which speak of firsts and lasts, of worthies and unworthies. And what we see throughout the parables is those who counted themselves as first become last, and the last become first. Those who are worthy in their own eyes and in the eyes of Jewish society are made unworthy, and the unworthies of Jewish society are granted entrance into the kingdom and found worthy. That's what I mean by the worthy, unworthy wedding guests. This is the third parable now of judgment. It is also, friends, the third parable of salvation. Uh, And we see here Jesus approaching this in the age-old formula of the prophets of God, bringing a tone of condemnation and judgment on those who would not repent and receive him by faith, but embedded in those condemnation, in those condemnatory uh, prophecies and judgments is the theme of salvation. 
that notwithstanding the judgment, some yet shall be saved. This parable is of a king who is putting on a wedding feast for his son. And he arranges this wedding feast and and provides wedding robes for all the guests. And this idea of a wedding and wedding robes is very rich in Scripture indeed. Going back to the Old Testament, we see Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul should exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. You see, even in the Old Testament, uh, the Jews, if they had eyes to see it, would have recognized this language of clothing and of a marriage or wedding feast. Our Lord accentuates this teaching in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. He had also spoken of it back in Matthew, chapter 9. Can the wedding guests mourn when the bridegroom is at hand? In other words, he has painted the picture of reception of himself as entry into a wedding, into a wedding feast. The imagery here of of a wedding feast put on by the king for his son, inviting guests, clothing them in wedding garments, is a profoundly blessed image. It reflects the intimacy, the joy the fellowship that God's people will enjoy with the Lord Jesus Christ eternally, not to mention the honor of being clothed in robes belonging to the king. And the wedding feast is arranged, and the king calls in those who have been invited. It's clearly a picture of what God is doing through the prophets and through John the Baptist and through Christ to the Jews. This is principally now about God's relationship to the Jews and their attitude towards him. He tells, he tells his servants, I've already invited people. Now go and tell them the wedding feast is ready. I've killed the fatted calf. Come to the wedding feast. And they're invited. That means they hold a special place in the heart of the king and his son. He's invited them. And yet, what do we read of them? Verse 3, but they would not come. But they would not come. The guests of the covenant people, the Jews, our Lord had prepared for them the Messiah and sent to them the Messiah, but they would not come to him. And in their history, he had sent them many messengers preparing them for the Messiah. Verse 4, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Come, enjoy, be filled, enjoy fellowship with me. He sent his prophets. He sent John the Baptist. And what did they do? We read that they treated them shamefully, verse 6, and even killed them. Friends, there is a great, perhaps even an unimaginable tragedy embedded within these verses. These people were the covenant people. 
who heard the voice of God historically and heard the voice of God incarnate in their presence, but would not come. Listen to what Paul is going to say of the Jews historically as a people. Romans chapter 9, verse 4. They are Israelites, and to them belongs the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God, overall blessed forever. Amen. Do we see what's being said? They've rejected everything and everyone that was ever given to them as the chosen people of God. They rejected their national identity, the Israel of God. They rejected the adoption, that is, they were made sons. They rejected the glory, that is, the presence of God in their midst. They rejected the covenants of which the substance is Christ. They rejected the giving of the law, that is the will of God for his people. They rejected the worship and the promises, that is salvation with God, with us. Friends, they had every opportunity to embrace the Christ. Every opportunity, but they would not come. They refused. And herein, friends, do we not see the great danger to ourselves? Religion without the substance of religion. A faith without Christ. Here is the danger we see of making faith a set of exterior rules according to a human standard without the substance, Jesus Christ. Here is the danger of self-satisfaction that we should think ourselves natively and naturally something when we are nothing. Here is the mistake of thinking that covenant status equals election. It doesn't. The danger in all this, dear friends, is what? We miss the very heart of our faith, the very heart of our religion, the triune God as revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And this is the narrative, friends, of the worthy unworthy. The Jews were privileged beyond anyone else, and thus they misread that privilege and counted themselves to be worthy in their own eyes. But by their response, they proved themselves to be unworthy. They would not come. They proved themselves to be unworthy. They refused the call of their heritage. They refused the call of the prophets. Verse 4, verse 5, they treated them harshly, even killed them. Verse 6, Jesus is saying to these Jews, this is you. This is how you have behaved. Their refusal was not just indifference. It was antipathy. It was hatred to the king and his messengers. And that hatred is staggering considering who they were. And of course, that hatred culminates, does it not, in the murder of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God himself. No wonder in the parable the king responds in this way. The king was angry. Verse 7. 
The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. The worthy in their own eyes were made unworthy by their lack of faith. They spurned the offer of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They spurned the generosity of God. They spurned the Son himself, and with it life everlasting. They rejected his claims and said, I'm not going to the wedding feast. Friends, this is the danger, not for the irreligious, but for people like us, the religious. We see profound judgment brought upon these Jews. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their cities. It's a picture of hell. Just we read down in verse 13. The place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness. To reject Christ is to consign yourself to the outer darkness. Friends, what of us? Each of us here today, I suspect, Perhaps if you're visiting, you're not from a church background, I don't know. But certainly members of Shiloh, we have had all the privileges, all the possibilities, all the opportunities of the kingdom as Israel historically did. To us belongs the word, the sacraments, fellowship, worship, covenants, baptism, the promises. Christ himself is proclaimed and worshipped in this place. And yet the history of the church is filled with people who reject that. Who reject Christ. Would we reject Christ? Would you reject Christ? What is there in this world that is worthy of exchange with the Lord Jesus Christ, friend? Pastor Rockin rightly said two weeks ago, I think, that in, in, in this dynamic of, of Israel being cast off or some of Israel being cast off, it's not right to say the church replaces Israel. That's incorrect. That's false doctrine. The church does not replace Israel. The church becomes part of Israel. But as we say that, Scripture itself says that parts of Israel, branches, were cut off and thrown into the fire, that we might be grafted in. We don't replace the concept of Israel because Christ is the fulfillment of the concept of Israel. No, what we see here is the repeated teaching of Scripture, not all Israel is Israel. It is those who are spiritual Israelites are the true Israel. And the tragedy is the nation of Israel always was designed to be a spiritual nation first and a physical nation second. They were to circumcise the foreskins of their hearts, even above what they were to do with their bodies. Friends, it's not birth that counts, though birth is very important. It's faith. These worthies of Jewish society made themselves unworthy through the absence of faith. Take heed, dear Christian. But that's only half the story, isn't it? Because though these wedding guests refused to come, and then they were forbidden entry, 
Other guests are brought in. These are the unworthy, worthy wedding guests, the unworthy wedding guests, the unworthies of society of whom the gospel is filled, the outcasts, uh, the, the sick, uh, the lame, and so on. The uninvited became the invited, verse 9. Therefore, says the king, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And who do they find? The servants? They find verse 10. We read both bad and good. They find the bad and the good and they bring them into the wedding feast. What's going on here? The bad and the good is not a divine judgment. As if people on this side of the wedding feast are the bad and people on this side are the good. It's not a divine judgment. This is the bad and good of Jewish society according to their own measurement. Those whom they declared to be outcasts, not worthy, unworthies of society. It's a tale of the first and the last again. These people are the last, by and large, the bad at least. Good and bad brought into the kingdom. Unworthies made worthy to sit at table with the king at the wedding feast. And more than that, to be granted a wedding garment. The servants are told out, go out and gather all whom you find. Luke's language of this parable is compel them to come in. It's a picture here of the gospel being preached throughout the world and sinners of all different shapes and sizes, people of every nation, tribe, tongue, responding in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw it throughout the Gospels, so we have seen it in the history of redemption. The servants of God have gone out, preached the Gospel, and people have responded in faith. They've come to the wedding feast of the King's Son. What a turnaround it is for these Jews here. They are excluded at the cost of tax collectors. The priestly caste is excluded at the cost of prostitutes and fishermen and the blind and the deaf who are welcomed into the kingdom and granted a wedding garment and sit down at table with the king's son himself. It's staggering. No royal coronation does this today. No royal wedding does this today. They invite the great and good of society throughout the world King Jesus' wedding feast has sinners, the worst of society. Friends, us, you, and me, not worthy before God, yet made worthy. Made worthy. Really, this is the paradigm of salvation being outworked, illustrated for us. What we see there in verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. Many called, but few chosen. But the few, friends, the few are still a many. Because we read there, the wedding hall, verse 10, was filled with guests. Filled with guests. Though, though many, many, many refused to come, what did God do? He filled up the wedding feast with other guests. Many were called. Many heard the gospel of Christ 
but rejected it. That is to say, friends, there will be many in hell. Many indeed in hell. But the few that are chosen, verse 14, we say also are a many, a great number, a multitude that no man can number. The promise to Abraham was that his descendants spiritually would be as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the heavens. The assurance of the prophets would, that would be that the number would be the same. The ministry of Christ reveals the floodgates of salvation bursting open to anyone. Regardless of who you are or what you've done, if you would but have faith in Jesus Christ, salvation is yours. Regardless of who you are or what you've done. We can say this, friends, the new heavens and the new earth will be full of the few. Full of the few. And by implication, we see something very special done for these few that are chosen, the unworthy worthies. Notice that in verse 11 to 13, we see that there are those who, on entry to the wedding feast, I believe they're granted a garment by the king. Uh, and they're fittingly dressed. They're in the presence of a king, presence of his son. There's a wedding celebration. They're given garments worthy of being in the wedding. What an honor to be invited to the wedding of the king's son. Unmatched honor, the sharing and the fellowship between God and his people and God's people one with another. Do we not see it once again as we've seen in the other parables? In the midst of judgment of some, there is the light, the shining light of salvation for others. A beautiful picture of eternal fellowship with God's people and God himself. The unworthies made worthy. The lasts made first. Clothed by a king. Given a wedding garment. Symbolic of the worthiness and honor and intimacy that God has with his people both now and eternally. Here we get to see not just what it means to be invited to a wedding feast, but this is, in fact, if we look at the breadth of Scripture, a family affair. Because these people are brought into the family of God. Christians are brought into the family of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us what that means on its question on adoption. The doctrine of adoption, what does it mean? It's an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. What? Received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Friends, isn't that good? Doesn't that make your heart glad this morning? What a great warning there is to us that we be not those who are in the church but without faith, but what great blessing there is for us to be in the church with faith. 
What incredible blessing. And that's the key, faith. Sincere faith, which produces true kingdom <clears throat> fruit. Sincere faith, which produces true kingdom fruit. Remember what's been said already, Pastor Rock and Covenant last week, chapter 21, verse 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Sincere faith, which produces kingdom fruits. That's, as we come to it lastly, the difference between the worthy and the unworthy that they are those who are of faith, who in their lives produce kingdom fruits. One guest at this wedding, we read verse 11 to 13, one guest has somehow slipped in past the bouncers, as it were, on the door. They've got into the wedding feast, and they're without a wedding garment. <clears throat> What's the significance of this wedding garment? Commentators are divided. It could mean that the guests have put on their own best clothes to come in to the wedding feast, like we do on Sundays or at a wedding, we dress up and we go in our Sunday best, as it were. I don't think that fits the imagery of the passage or scripture. Second option, it could be the clothes of righteousness that the Christian is granted. When we have faith in Christ, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. I think that's part of what's going on here. But I think something else also fits the context. At the wedding feast of the Lamb, those in attendance are given fine linen vestments. And for that as a reference, I go to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. But what is that fine linen? For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The righteous deeds of the saints. Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Notice the language there. It's very complex. Uh, the saints have been granted to wear fine linen garments. God has given them those garments. But what are those garments? They represent in some way the righteous deeds done by the saints, by Christians throughout their life. Isaiah 61.10 has a different but similar idea we've read already where God grants them the perfect robes of righteousness of Christ. Here we've got our good works, our good works being likened to these uh, fine linen robes. It's the teaching here, friends. When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to us is imputed a perfect spotless righteousness. We receive it by faith alone. It's the righteousness of none other than Jesus Christ. But the Christian then, from that point onwards, goes on doing what? He bears fruits fitting for the kingdom. Our own good works, we know we've got nothing to boast in them. That they're mired in sin in this life, but we're told in Revelation 19 that our good works in the life to come through the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ are likened to wedding garments given us by God, fine and pure linen. 
our works. Faulty now, made perfect before God on the final day. We shouldn't be surprised by this, should we? Teaching of Scripture bears this out. Paul says, we are God's workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our works, not the grounds of our justification, don't misunderstand me. That's Christ's righteousness, achieved by faith. Our, our works, nothing to do with our own righteousness, but something to do with the glory we will receive. Our works made perfect in the Savior, presentable to God, we're clothed in those works. Yes, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and it seems by God's grace. Our works in this life have not gone unnoticed, are not forgotten, are made perfect, and there is a grant of reward in heaven. That's the difference between the worthies and the unworthies, ultimately. Are you in Christ? And if you answer yes to that, will you also answer yes to the question, does your life reflect that? Are you bearing fruit suitable for the kingdom? Kingdom fruits, are they found in your life? What are you, dear friend? A worthy or an unworthy? Do you have the wedding garment by faith, or are you faithless? Your answer to that, friends, might determine where you end up eternally. It's that serious. And if you presently answer, I'm an unworthy, I'm without Christ. I don't have access to this wedding garment. I don't have access to his righteousness. You're called today by this passage by Almighty God to repent and turn and believe and see the wonder and the blessing, the comfort, the strength, every possible idea of goodness and blessedness of which you conceive is only found in Jesus Christ. Believe on him this day. The text makes it clear what will happen to you if you're without Christ. You'll be bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We would not have that for you. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Friends, if you are trusting in Christ, as I know many of you are, you are acceptable to God not on account of your own labors. Really important you understand that. You're acceptable to God on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ who justifies. But you will then produce works commensurate with your standing in the kingdom. Dear Christian, is your life a life of good works? Do you love the worship of God's people? Do you love God? Do you love his people? Do you love reading his Bible? Do you love praying to him? Do you love serving, caring, bearing the burdens of others? These are works fitting of the kingdom. And if that's you, dear friends, I just say this, welcome to the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's not been perfected quite yet. 
but it will be soon enough. Welcome to the fellowship, the intimacy, the joy. Welcome to the presence of the triune God in your life through Jesus Christ. Welcome to the honor of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Welcome to everlasting life itself. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, we plead with you that you would be merciful unto us, that we, your people, might might delight in your presence, in the promise of life in the Savior. Lord God, may we, your people, be filled with gladness at what we've enjoyed today. Be with us, Lord God, work in us greater faith. With those without faith, Lord, we plead with you, have mercy and grant such. Father, we pray that you would work faith in our hearts, faith which produces an active obedience in ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.